Welcome back as we call to order the second session of Lexington's Marquee Soccer Podcast. If you heard our inaugural session, you know a bit about what this show's aim is, but if this is the first episode you're hearing, we'll give you a brief rundown. Lexington Marquee Soccer is a once-monthly podcast attempting to bring awareness to Lexington's forthcoming USL League One expansion team, set to begin play in spring of 2023. Our hope is to bring attention and awareness to the team throughout the Central Kentucky area and hopefully galvanize a community and culture around this show that can influence the club and make sure it is everything we hope it can be to this community. Which brings us to today's topic, building a culture or an identity around this team. Lately, club officials have been surveying small segments of our Central Kentucky community on what this area means to them, what makes it special, and what aspects of this area they want to see reflected in their club. They've pegged themes like the horse and bourbon cultures, as well as the great outdoors with places like the Gorge, among other things, and if you haven't taken that survey for yourself, you can actually still head over to LexingtonProSoccer.com and click on Our Crest to find the link to what they're calling their brand survey and throw in your two cents as well. At the time of recording, anyway, that survey is still available on the website, so do check it out. But I would like to add that calling it a brand survey brings up what to me is one of the more unsavory elements of professional sports in America in general, and soccer in particular, and that's that the club want to pick something that energizes and excites as many local people as possible so that they can maximize profits. As you know from episode one, I'm much more interested in the social discourse and community building that can come from sports, but for what it's worth, I will say that in minor league sports, staying solvent is a huge concern. So to some extent, having a crest and a brand that apply to a lot of people and encourage them to buy all sorts of hats, t-shirts, scarves, keychains, whatever, that can be as important to keeping a club alive as putting butts in seats, so we can chalk all this up to necessary for sure. With that said, there are certainly ways that this branding effort can serve both purposes of keeping the club financially solvent and building a community, so I thought it would be interesting to take a look at a few case studies of clubs around the globe and how they've built their club identity in a way that makes them both marketable and socially impactful. First off, I thought I'd send us to Germany, where the Bundesliga is renowned for their rules around fan ownership, where supporters of even the biggest clubs in the country need to own a minimum of 50 plus 1% of the club. We're taking a look at the second tier of German football, however, the Zwei Bundesliga, where FC St. Pauli are currently atop the table and primed to be promoted to the first division. That on-field success, however, isn't the primary thing I want Lexington to emulate from St. Pauli. Rather, it's the social justice platform which make up the unshakable bedrock of their club and which make the Freibuter der Liga so enviable to me. St. Pauli supporters proudly wave the skull and crossbones in support of their team to codify their cult identity of punk anti-fascism. The community in Hamburg, where St. Pauli is located, dedicated themselves to a specific brand of politics in the 80s and early 90s when right-wing nationalist supporter groups were on the rise in Europe. Coming from Germany, it's inspiring to hear of a community that stood up to knock down fascism and make this a core tenant of their club ethos, which persists even to this day. Although there are less Nazis to literally fight with outside of matches, thankfully, the willingness to put their bodies on the line to combat fascism still exists. Moreover, the supporter culture has beautifully infiltrated every corner of the managing operations within the club. As evidence of this, in October 2019, the club released midfielder Cenk Sahin after he made public social media comments in support of what the club identified as right-wing propaganda in line with the authoritarian regime ruling Turkey as it violated the club and community ethos that players agree to abide by when joining the club. 
What I find inspiring about St. Pauli as a case study is the depth of dedication that grew up straight from the grassroots of their supporters into the locker room and all the way to the management and organization. Now, I'm not saying our club needs to pick a specific political agenda and publicize it as their identity, although I would hope that being anti-Nazi would be pretty low-hanging fruit and a unifying theme. But if the club can find some sort of cultural thread that runs through every corner of our community the way the anti-fascist sentiment ran through Hamburg in the 1980s and 90s and make that part of our club's identity, it would make the club feel like an indispensable pillar of our community almost overnight. There are other causes they could pick besides political ones, though, and based on some of the emphasis the club put on the natural beauty of Central Kentucky in their survey, it might already be on their mind. For a second source of inspiration, we're heading to England to take a look at Forest Green Rovers in the fourth tier of the English Soccer Pyramid. In 2010, Dale Vince became majority shareholder and chairman of Forest Green Rovers, and then began the club's decade and beyond journey to becoming a public face for environmentalism in sports. During this journey, the club have become vegan, they've renovated their stadium, the New Lawn, to limit their carbon footprint, and they're building the first stadium in England to be constructed out of fully sustainable materials. All these efforts have not gone unnoticed either, as the UN has recognized Forest Green Rovers as the world's first carbon-neutral football club and put the community of Forest Green on the map internationally. What I find inspiring about Forest Green Rovers is the idea that this club has become part of something bigger than itself. Bigger than sports or a weekly game that we all get together and watch, and that by doing so they have elevated their fans and their community into something capable of accomplishing more than they might have done as individuals. Lexington's club doesn't necessarily need to pick some global initiative to rally behind, but if the club can look beyond sports, beyond an on-field product or off-the-field profitability, and look at how they can take a community of people who at first only have in common that they want to watch local soccer together, and then help usher them towards a cause larger than the sum of its parts, that is something I would think was truly inspiring. The final case study I wanted to look at is actually a hodgepodge of sorts that will keep us in England for a moment, but also touch on the US. One of the most fascinating and alluring components of European soccer is the idea that these clubs are organic and historic institutions that have grown up with their communities through decades, as opposed to the franchise system that makes the, the backbone of American sports. In Europe with these clubs, there is sort of a fairy tale or fable of fan ownership, which sadly becomes less and less true year after year, at least in the top divisions, as Russian oligarchs, oil sheiks, and American billionaire businessmen buy into the major clubs. But this idea persists, and it's what makes those leagues so attractive. This idea that the club really is part of the community it's located in, and therefore the New Orleans Jazz can't become the Utah Jazz overnight. Which brings us to AFC Wimbledon a club that rose from the ashes of Wimbledon FC when a group purchased this club that had existed in the community of Wimbledon in London for over a hundred years and relocated it to Milton Keynes, another city entirely. What's worse, the ownership had the audacity to nickname their team the Dons and say that this was a nod to their rich history in Wimbledon and, you know, hopefully keep some of those supporters and the revenue they would generate following this new MK Dons team. Not surprisingly, the fans did not accept this and formed a new club, beginning play in the 10th tier of English soccer, the very bottom. And over the next decade, they won promotion after promotion all the way back into the professional divisions of English football. What fascinates me about AFC Wimbledon is the idea that it is the fans who control the identity of the club, not a rich ownership group, not even the players or the stadium. 
A football club is a community of supporters, a small number of whom happen to play on the field or handle the day-to-day -day operations of the club. Ownership and players are stewards of an identity that goes far beyond them, and if Lexington can keep this fans first and foremost mentality at the front of their minds, the club will surely be beloved with a fervor that will last even longer than Wimbledon's 100 plus years. Whether it's AFC Wimbledon, FC United of Manchester, or even the domestic Detroit City FC and San Francisco City FC, Taking the lead from your fans may not always make a club a financial powerhouse in the capitalistic sports landscape of today, but it builds the kind of loyalty and community that draws us all to follow sports in the first place. So, how will owner Bill Shively and team president Vince Gabbert build the community of this club? It remains to be seen, but again, if those survey questions and the club's December 1st tweet about it are anything to judge by, they have healthy ambitions in mind and I for one am rooting for them to pull it off. There are domestic and local inspirations they can follow as well in terms of how to grow awareness and support locally. Orlando City SC dominated USL when they were here, and USL was a third-tier league just as League One is today. They built their brand by fostering the growth of supporters groups, and that support carried them all the way to MLS. When they left their USL franchise, rights were sold to none other than our own neighbors Louisville City FC, who have been an undeniable success not only on the field with two championships, but more importantly off the field. The city of Louisville rallied around this idea of Lou City being a fully professional sports team in a fully professional league in a metro that was very much a college sports town. It helped that they had a lot of logistical and ideational support from the wildly successful Orlando City, even installing an OCSC former player, James O'Connor, as their first head coach and technical director. But, more importantly, it was some little things like giving away free magnets of the team's crest every chance they could get so that as those things got slapped onto dorm and apartment fridges, car bumpers, and beyond, it was this cheap and easy way to raise awareness of the club and make it visible in the city, right? Like, make viewers who thought that they were only stopping by to try out one game, it was a fun thing to do in a summer afternoon with their friends, and now those people became supporters and even ambassadors for the club throughout this city of 1.3 million people. The Kentucky College Sports Town parallels are clear for anyone to see, and I for one would love to see the team copy Lou City's Free Magnets Left and Right initiative for the same reasons listed. People in Lexington already like sports, they like to get behind something and rally, and if you get this awareness and, and provide this idea that, hey, there's something exciting happening here, that, that'll be a great way to grow it really quickly off the bat. The only remaining sticking point for that would be, can they develop a logo that is as inspiring and eye-catching as Lou City's initial logo was? So, what should the crest be, and therefore, what should the team nickname and colors be? Identity as a term that encompasses both the marketing aspect, the brand, and the community aspect, culture, is something that I really want to keep in mind, this, this term of identity as we kind of brainstorm ideas, although I would like to hear ideas that you all have, and I'd be excited to see if the club would put out some of their testing ideas for the fan base to take a look at as they were going. To go back to our case studies, we know Lexington and Central Kentucky are not a left-wing red-light district in a 1,500-year-old city. We're not an environmentalist enclave in West England or a London neighborhood with 132 years of club history, so if we want to learn from these examples, the biggest takeaway will be identifying what brings our community together the way those ideas brought those communities together. What is our central bonding force that the club can use to rally the community and make us part of something bigger? Once we know that, the team can push toward building an identity that combines the culture of the community and the brand that will be a heuristic shorthand for that community. Okay, so if not any of those three case study examples, then what is the Bluegrass region? 
Well, from a branding perspective, a lot of the low-hanging fruit is pretty easy to see and was touched on in that survey. Keeneland horse racing and horse culture are obviously big, and the bourbon culture is certainly at the peak of some sort of movement at the moment. Bluegrass music is something I'm personally partial to and leaves open a window to tie in more of the communities to the east of us as well, and gives us an opportunity to incorporate the beautiful natural aspects of this bluegrass region. But it's often easier to start with the end goal in mind when trying to sort through a plethora of great options like this, so to do that, we need to know what question we're answering, which I think is, what makes a good team brand? Or a bad one? To me, the best sports team brands are ones that have a clear and obvious connection to the area right in the team name and colors, not just ones that are marketed successfully. The Los Angeles Lakers, for example? Terrible brand, because they are stolen from the Minneapolis Lakers. Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes, so being the Lakers makes perfect sense in Minnesota. California is a land of droughts and wildfires. Not exactly the same thing as lakes. So while no one would say that the Lakers branding has failed from a marketing standpoint, in fact, very much the opposite, it's a marketing boon, I would however say it's a horrible failure as an authentic identity. We see examples of this all across sports where teams are relocated. New Orleans Jazz? Super cool. Utah Jazz? <laughs> what are you doing? But luckily, our team gets to create their identity from scratch, so this relocation shouldn't be a problem. The main soccer leagues in the US are so new that there isn't so much history of uprooting and relocation. However, soccer teams across the country still make painfully similar mistakes to the examples just listed. Specifically, I'm talking about MLS teams and their fallacious claims that they want to be a global brand and therefore need to sacrifice any idea of fostering a unique local identity, despite the fact that MLS club support is almost exclusively local, in favor of slapping some amalgamation of City, United, or FC on their name for recent clubs and the embarrassments of Real and Sporting for some older ones. If any one of these terms comes anywhere near Lexington's name, I will consider it a travesty and a personal affront to the people of Central Kentucky. Those monikers have history in the countries where they came from. Like, Real, in Spanish, is royal. Those clubs identified those teams' fans with royalist factions, a historically important concept in Spain and elsewhere. So far as I know, Utah does not have a king, so Real Salt Lake? Not sure what that's about? United teams in England refer to historic mergers between multiple city clubs. Thus, the renamed clubs become the United clubs of that particular city, such as when Newcastle East End and Newcastle West End merged in 1892 and thereafter became Newcastle United. It makes sense. There's history there. Atlanta United? Exactly what merger are you guys referring to down there? Oh, you're just hollowly adopting a moniker with no connection to the community? Okay, cool. Thanks. Got it. Philadelphia Union at least took a little riff on this concept with the whole Liberty Bell, founding city of the Union thing, and Minnesota got dangerously close to actually using this successfully if they had just called themselves like Twin Cities United instead of Minnesota United, but in general this is an empty moniker in American sports. And just an aside, like, oh, the Minnesota one bugs me because their, oh, their crest and team colors are so great and the nickname of the Loons, they got so close to being good, but nope, just another empty United. And as far as FC is concerned, not only is it lazy, uncreative, and failing to identify with the community, but we play soccer in America? Our leagues are the United Soccer League, Major League Soccer, the National Independent Soccer Association, etc. So why are we calling our clubs football clubs then? Like, I don't even like SC in Orlando and Nashville, but at least that's closer to something real. 
Much better names and crests can be seen with the Portland Timbers, embracing the regional importance of the logging trade and then choosing that deep forest green and spectacular logging axe as a T for their logo. The Seattle Sounders embracing the importance of Puget Sound to the area and picking that gorgeous emerald green for the Emerald City and the Space Needle as a focal point of their logo. Chicago Fire before they added the stupid FC to their name and with their current logo that they're just launching this coming year, riffing off of the Cubs and with the colors of their city flag and the idea of those stars, that's almost a spectacular idea as well. These are the kind of places Lexington will hopefully look for inspiration. So. What do we have that unites our area the way timber logging does for Portland, or Puget Sound does for Seattle? The obvious, though definitely not my favorite choice, is horse racing, especially when you consider Shively's connection to the industry and sport. The reason I'm not super high on this is a fear that it identifies us with a self-aggrandizing subculture, like mainly this idea that the horse racing elite are inherently exclusive as opposed to inclusive and therefore uh, it doesn't necessarily build a community in the same way that I have in mind with this grassroots biggest common denominator idea. If, however, the club chose to emphasize fans and the people who attend these events and what it means to them, then I'd definitely change my tune. Calling ourselves something like the Kentucky Railbirds and kidding up in bright, colorful pastels evocative of the people who crowd the general admission areas at Keeneland dressed in bright spring colors just to have a good time, that would feel like it connected to the community and huge groups of people for me. It's just too bad Forward Madison and our own division already stole the pastel blue and pink from us. We could also go with something like we could also go with something like Lexington Dark Horse if we wanted to be more reminiscent of the sport of horse racing itself and less about the fans specifically. I mean, who doesn't like rooting for a dark horse? If pastel colors don't fit with a moniker that contains the word dark, we could riff off of the Lexington Legends colors with that deep blue and green evocative of bluegrass to make a connection to the natural landscape of central Kentucky, as well as show some solidarity with our fellow local sports team. And unless they would be upset by that, crowding their lane, I don't know. I would think not, but we'll never know with minor league sports. Either way, I just know I do not want the team to go straight blue and white UK colors, it sucks too much oxygen out of the room and feels like admitting defeat to college sports. Like, I want this team to strike out and build its own identity rather than drafting off of a sports culture that is already embedded and means something much different. I think it really matters that Lou City plays in purple, they don't play in red. And so they can still graft onto that idea that they are a sports town and because college sports are important in Louisville, but they struck out and built something themselves. That's what I want Lexington to do. If horse racing doesn't fit the bill, we could also riff off of the bourbon industry, and this one is a personal favorite of mine, though I'm not sure any ownership group would go after it due to the alcohol connection, but I'd love if we called ourselves Amber and Oak. Amber for that beautiful amber color of bourbon, and the oak for the famous barrels made and maintained by Coopers across the state and sold and renowned worldwide. We could even just straight up steal Brentford's 2018-2019 away kits with the brown bodies for the barrel and that amber-orange color in the shoulders. That'd be great because it'd be a unique look that would set us apart from any other local or national club. If alcohol and gambling connotations scare them away from either of the previous two identities, however, the club could also just go with something like Kentucky Bluegrass, using that same bluegrass green for their primary colors and trying to turn something like the upbeat rendition of Blue Moon of Kentucky into a team anthem to play before and after games. Any one of these options would get me excited. I'm not sure about anyone else, but it's a place to start. 
it would motivate me to join this community. I'd want to be in a supporters group. I'd want to go to games. I would want to identify with these colors and concepts. I'd be curious to hear if any of you felt the same way or if you had ideas, you could email us at lexingtonmarqueesoccer at gmail.com because I'd be super curious to hear what other people in the fan base are thinking in these early doors as well. Hopefully whatever the team chooses takes some of these concepts to heart. I'm not saying the team needs to pick any of these specific ideas, but the mentality around their development if that is present in the marketing meetings where these things are being decided, then I know we'll have a great unifying concept on the way for us, and I for one can't wait to see the crest colors and name unveiled, and yes, indeed, buy a hat and a t-shirt. For now, however, it's time we move to adjourn the second monthly session of the Lexington Marquee Soccer Congress. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we're looking forward to speaking again on the third Tuesday in January. Till then, keep on shining.